Amen, and welcome again to this gathering, and welcome to those of you who are watching online, those of you who are members of our church that are live streaming, we miss you, Uh, we're glad that you're staying safe, glad that you are home, but we look forward to the day when we can all be back together. Uh, If you are familiar with the 80s at all, let alone if you are a child of the 80s, you will definitely be familiar with, if not love, uh, Indiana Jones, that trilogy. Uh, it's written by George Lucas, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, right? You got Mandalorian, Star Wars still going on today. It's a good show. Um, but if you, you know, have any familiarity, you remember Indiana Jones in the 80s. There was one recently a couple of years ago, but you've got uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Temple of Doom, and then The Last Crusade. And in that third one, The Last Crusade, there's that, there's that classic scene, if, if you've seen it at all, where uh, Indiana Jones is looking for the Holy Grail, which is supposedly the cup that Jesus drank out of during the Last Supper. And it's, he, he gets this room, and it, there's tons of different um, ornate-looking cups that are in there. And there's uh, this, this, this old, like, crusader, like knight, who's supposedly still alive or whatever, right? It's make-believe. But he's sitting there, and, he's, and they're trying to figure out, you know, which one's the Holy Grail. And so uh, a Nazi takes this, he drinks it, and, and his face melts off. Uh, I would have shown the clip, but I didn't want to scare children today. Um, so his face melts off, and the, the, the knight says to him, you've chosen poorly. And so then it flips over, and Indiana Jones picks one, and he drinks it, and he survives. And the knight says, you've chosen wisely. And it's that idea of choosing wisely that's kind of at the forefront of, of what we have this morning. In that hard text that that uh, Chad, Pastor Chad read from. All of these choices that we have and that we need to choose wisely. We need to choose wisely the path that we're going to go on in life. We need to choose wisely who we're going to listen to as far as influencing and teaching us the tenets of the faith. And we need to choose wisely whether or not we're actually like serious, genuine, sincere in all of this because these these choices that are presented here in Matthew chapter 7 are choices of life and death the choices of eternal destiny they're choices of of heaven and hell and so we need to choose wisely And so as we kind of bring this down to us today, as we think about these three major choices Jesus puts before his disciples then and now, as we do that, I want to give you three things we need to beware of as we make these choices. Three things we need to beware of as we make these choices, because even as Indiana Jones knew, looks can be deceiving. And so three things we need to be aware of this morning as we make these choices. And the first one is this. Beware of choosing the wrong path. Beware of choosing the wrong path. Look at verse 13 with me. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And so what Jesus does here, as He has done so often throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is He just kind of lays out two choices. 
There's two ways to live. You can live the way of the world, wide path, or you can way which may sometimes be dressed up with religiosity. Maybe camouflaged. The other way is you can live the way of the Lord. The way of the world or the way of the Lord. And the way of the world is broad. It's beautiful. It's enticing. It's attractive. It's what we are, like we are, we are prone to go that way. We want to go that way. It's the easy way. It's the way that everybody's going. And everybody says, come on, get on the, the broad path train. Come on, this is, this is where all the cool kids play, right? Come over here. You don't need some weirdo who does something different or strange. Get on the broad path. Come with me. But we can't just look at the gate, at the entrance and how pretty it may be. We need to look all the way down the line to its end. And Jesus says its end is what? Destruction. I mean, it's not that unlike your physical health. It's easy to eat junk food, right? It's easy to eat greasy food. And it's hard to go exercise when it's cold. But if you don't do those things, right? Well, if you do those things, you're going to be unhealthy. But if you will take the hard path of trying to eat better, trying to do some exercise, you will be less prone to ailments throughout life. Now, if you take that up to the level of the eternal destiny of your soul here, like if you choose the easy path, if you take the wide gate like so many do, it may be easy in that moment. It may feel good in that moment. But as you look down the line, it leads to destruction. Whereas if you take the hard path, if you take the narrow gate, the way of Christ, it may be harder for the moment. And you may be excluded. You may lose friends. You may lose comfort. You may lose pleasure. You may lose opportunities but again, look down the tracks at where it leads. Eternal life. I mean, it's just, as Jesus said, why gain the whole world and lose your soul? That's a stupid trade. And so, friends, we need to choose wisely here. We need to, like, like, like don't be a large-mouthed bass, Right? With worm drops down straight and far. Oh, this looks good. This is easy. It's right there. You don't know that there's a hook in it. Like, don't take the easy path. Don't just take the easiest way. Rather, listen to Jesus and enter by the narrow gate. But don't just enter by the narrow gate. I want you to notice something to praise the Lord for. That there is a gate. Uh, there doesn't have to be a gate. God is under no obligation to provide a gate, we're the ones who sin, we're the ones who have rebelled against Him. It is by His grace that He's even provided a gate for us. And He's provided a gate for us because, friends, He is rich in mercy. Matter of fact, if you look through Scripture, God is described with a gazillion attributes. But there's only one thing in all of Scripture that, that, where it says God is rich in this. And it's mercy. Ephesians chapter 2. He's rich in mercy. He doesn't have just a little bit. 
God's not like spring-loaded with anger towards you and eh, maybe he'll try to get some mercy up. No, he's spring-loaded with mercy towards you. He's rich in mercy. And so in love, God has provided a way for redemption. He's provided a way for reconciliation. He's provided a way out of our sin, out of our condemnation. And Jesus is that way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus lived the life that none of us lived, a life without sin. And Jesus died the death that we've all been condemned to die, death for sin. And Jesus rose to give us a gift that we could never earn, forgiveness of our sin. And he did this because he is rich in mercy and love towards you. And he says, all ye who are weary and burdened, come to me and I will give you rest. And so are you, are you weary this morning? Are you burdened this morning? Are you heavy laden this morning? Those of you who have never trusted Jesus, come to him and he will give you rest. He'll gather you like a, a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And those of you who have trusted Him for salvation, trust Him for the moment you're in right now. You also are under His wings, gathered close. He loves you and He's with you. Emmanuel. It's one of the greatest promises of all the Bible. God with us. That is good news. And so praise God that He's made a way. But maybe you're out there thinking this morning, or maybe you're on, online live streaming watching this, or maybe watching this down the road sometime, and you're, and you're thinking to yourself, so Joe, are you saying, like you're talking about a narrow gate, and are, are you saying there's only one way to heaven? Are, are you saying that not all roads lead to the top? Well, I am, but not because like I'm making this up. I say that because Jesus said that. It's Jesus here who's talking about this narrow gate, and Jesus just kind of goes for the jugular in John 14, 6, and he says, I am the way, singular, the life, singular, the truth, singular, not a way, a truth, or a life. The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And listen, our world, like, that hates that. That's, an ex that's so exclusive. Like, no one really struggles with, like, you know, vague spiritual generalities, vague prayerfulness, vague, you know, uh, supernatural things and miracles and that sort of stuff. But the claim of exclusivity that, that one religion is right and all the others is wrong, that one sacred writing is right and all the others is wrong, that one path to God is right and all the others is wrong, that claim's really hard for some people. And maybe, you know, one of you sitting here this morning or, or watching, that's hard for you. And so you may be sitting there and you're thinking, dude, you are so arrogant to stand up there and say that, you know, one way, one religion's right and all the other ones are wrong. 
and, and try to convert other people to your religion. That is so arrogant because in, in reality, you know, uh, all religions just see a little piece of the truth, but they can't see the whole thing. And so classically, I, I've heard this kind of backed up by a poem that's about blind men and, ele- and an elephant. And so the, the gist of the poem goes that there's several men walking and they come upon this elephant. Several blind men walking. And they come upon this elephant and so they start t- touching it to try to understand what it is. One of them grabs hold of the trunk and it's like, oh, this, this must be a snake because, you know, it's long and flexible. And another one grabs hold and is touching the leg and it's like, no, 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 no. Th- this is a tree. It's a tree trunk. And another one touches the side and he's like, no, this is big and flat and unmovable. It's it's a wall. And so the, 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 the gist of the poem, like the argument, the line of thinking goes, you know, that like no one could, like each person could only feel a part of the elephant. No one could really understand the whole thing. They couldn't envision the entire thing. And so therefore, likewise, religions of the world only see part of the picture and no one can envision the whole thing. But friend, if you hold to that line of thinking, let me, let, me, let me try to help expose a flaw in your logic. It's actually you who are arrogant. Because you are saying that no religion can see the whole thing. But you can't. You can say, like everybody, I'm, you, you have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm enlightened. I'm above you. I can see all this. You're not as smart as I am. I can see the whole thing. You just see a part. I see it all. You're telling the story from a position of omniscience. And you're also kind of on top of that saying, hey, you can't make an exclusive claim that you know, an absolute truth statement that one way is the only way, but I can make an absolute truth statement, an exclusive claim that your claim is wrong. That's a flawed logic. And so I think Tim Keller is, is really helpful here when he writes... It's no more narrow to claim that one religion is right than to claim that one way to think about all religions, namely that they're all the same, is right. In actuality, we are all exclusive in our beliefs about religion, but in different ways. And so Jesus, yes, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. Exclusive claim. Yes. But what I want us to understand is how inclusive that exclusive claim is. It is inclusive of anyone who will simply repent and believe. Like, unlike many other religions, Christianity, like, you will not be excluded from the saving work of Jesus on the basis of race or gender or ethnicity or background or morality or culture. Like, you will not be excluded. There are no prerequisites to coming to Christ. None. The hope of the gospel is totally inclusive of all people, of all times, of all locations who will simply 
repent and believe. Totally inclusive of that. And so there's only one way, yes. And Jesus is that way. But He's that way for anyone who will repent and believe because He's rich in mercy and love. I mean, He's just so kind to make a way. And so wherever you're at, friend, enter by the narrow gate. Walk the narrow path. And yeah, it may be harder. But it's worth it. And Christ will be with you even to the end of the age. And so that's number one. We need to beware of these paths. And beware of choosing the wrong path. Number two then, is beware of listening to false prophets. Beware of listening to false prophets. And so look at verse 15 again with me. Here in Matthew chapter 7. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so the warning here is to beware of false prophets. Beware of those who, uh, like you allow to influence you. And certainly there are false prophets that sometimes get into churches. And definitely there are false prophets all over the radio and TV. But false prophets are not only like false teachers on on TV or the radio. Uh, Contextually here, like by default, we see that a false prophet has to necessarily be someone who, who does not promote the narrow way of Christ. And so literally, false prophets are everywhere. Facebook is full of them. Twitter, like all social media platforms. And you understand how those things work. They just feed you what you want to see, right? They don't show you diverging opinions. They just show you what you want to see. To keep you on the screen to make money. They're on TV. you got your Osteens, right? I can go down a whole list, see me afterwards, and I'll give them to you. And listen, you can't always see them right away, right? Because they come to us in sheep's clothing. And so it's hard to see them sometimes. And somebody may be like, oh, no, not me. I, I, I've been given the spiritual gift of discernment. I can spot a false teacher from a mile away. Well, a couple of things. One, I'd be careful. Pride comes before the fall. Two, maybe you have, you know, maybe you are gifted at spotting a certain type of false teacher, but you're not as gifted at, fall, at, at spotting a, a, a different type. 
I mean, there are so many false teachers out there today who are straight up drunk on a syncretism of religion and politics, putting them together. Straight up drunk on it. And that's idolatry. But folks, one of the reasons that false teachers are so hard to spot is that like 90% of what they say is right on. It's just 10% that can destroy you. 10% that's, that's, that's off, which just proves that Satan comes as an angel of light. This one's like, but Joe, 90%? Like, that's pretty good. I'd take that on a test. I would love the 90% back in the day when I was taking tests. But let me ask you, would you eat a brownie that is 90% toll house goodness? but 10% dog poop or anthrax or even 99% toll house goodness and 1% anthrax. Uh, it, it's like the, ro- the, the wide road. It may look good. It may taste good. It may go down oh so easy, but it leads to destruction. Looks and sounds can be deceiving. And if, if you, and you know this, I mean, if you've seen Duck Dynasty, like what are they famous for? They're famous for making duck calls, right? Duck calls call what? Ducks. And, and hunters have turkey calls to call in the turkeys, and they have deer calls to call in the deer. They know how to attract their prey. Satan also knows how to call in his prey as he seeks to destroy your soul. And so you have to beware. False teachers can be hard to spot. And yet, no matter how well camouflaged they are, Jesus does kind of give us two, kind of a two-pronged test of identifying them. And it's all about this fruit that he's talking about. The fruit of their teaching, as well as the fruit of their lives. The fruit of their teaching, which, which is, you know, doctrine and devotion. And so doctrinally, just as good fruit comes from good teachers, and ba- or comes from good trees, and bad fruit comes from bad trees, I don't even know if I said that right, but you know what I'm trying to get across there. So good teaching comes from true prophets, and false teaching comes from false prophets. Well, what, how, do I, how do I know if it's good teaching? Well, I, I, I guess maybe it's, if it's entertaining. Does that mean it's, it's good teaching or, or, or it works? I tried it and it worked or it just made me feel good. And so that, you know, that's good teaching. Or uh, I know it's good teaching when I agree with the preacher 100% of the time. Then it's, then it's good because he, he agrees with me. Those are all obviously like extreme examples, though some people might think that, of... Like, that's the wrong question to ask. The question to ask is, is it biblical? And, and not just like camouflage with Bible talk, but truly, is it biblical? Does it promote the wide way or the narrow way? Or does it narrow the narrow way? That's just as bad. Does it jive with 
the faith that's been once for all delivered to the saints? Or does it like do evil math? And some of you may think all math's evil. It's not. I like math. But with the Bible, anything that adds to, subtracts from, multiplies, or divides is problematic. And what that means, folks, is that faithful teaching is sometimes going to rub you the wrong way. Faithful teaching sometimes will make you a bit irritated. Sometimes pretty mad, even. The Bible, when you read the Bible, it's not, here to, it's not easy to sometimes hear that. Bit. Ah, don't, I don't like that. Why, why, God, why did you have to put that in there? Right? Alright, toes should be stepped on in here. And you should want that. Tickling of ears is for false prophets. Speaking the truth, even when you don't want to hear it or don't like it, is for faithful teachers. And so test one, as you're trying to spot a false teacher, it's like, what, doctrinally, what is he saying? Is it biblical or is it not? But then test two is like on the practical or devotional side. Like what is the fruit being produced in this person's life? Now surely not perfectly. Any teacher is also a sheep. You need to remember that. Please, as you think about me, please remember that. I am just a sheep, just like you. But on the whole, like what is, what kind of fruit is growing in, in this person's life? Is it love? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Or the inverse of that, is it producing the fruit of promoting themselves? Or kind of smoothly and unseen inciting anger? Malice, slander, obscene talk, lies, irreverent, silly myths. That'll speak for today. Are they producing the fruit of loving God with all that they are and loving their neighbor as themselves? Or are they creating false categories of, of who's my neighbor to try to get out of loving and caring for people Jesus tells us to love and care for? So Jesus says you'll know them by their fruit. And so beware of listening to false prophets. Beware of number one, choosing the wrong path. Beware of number two, listening to false prophets. And then based upon the path that you go down and based upon who you listen to, number three is this, and it's heavy. Beware of being a false disciple. Beware of being a false disciple. And that should land on us like a ton of bricks. Because Jesus' words do. Look at verse 21. Not everyone, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name and 
cast out demons in, in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are some of the most terrifying verses in all of the Bible. I tremble every single time I read them to think I could do this and not actually know God. To think that there are people who think that they are Christian when in fact they're not. But the question we need to consider is not, you know, well, who might those people be? But we do need to ask, is that person me? We, we have to ask with self-introspection here. Is that me? And what Jesus is basically saying in this passage then is that the proof is in the pudding, right? We're going to be saying, you know, we wish you a Merry Christmas pretty soon and, you know, bring me some figgy pudding. And you know quickly, with one finger dip, if that pudding's good or not. The proof's in the pudding. The proof's in the living. Because like just stating a profession of faith or, or praying a prayer doesn't mean that you like are saved. Now you may have been, but you may have just had an emotional experience. Time will tell. Where are you in five years? Where are you in 10 years? Where are you in 25 years? Where are you in 50 years? And so Jesus is saying the proof's in the pudding. It's, it's verse 21 here. It's not about just saying, Lord, Lord, but doing His will. Not that that saves us, but that that gives evidence of the fact that we have been saved. It gives evidence that He's Lord, Lord, You give evidence of that by how you live. And so then how are you to live? Friends, that's what the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through for several weeks now is is all about. It's about vintage Christianity that I think so many American Christians at least love nostalgically but have forsaken practically and we've got to reclaim that blessed are the peace, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful. These are the people that are blessed, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, not for just any reason, but for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And just kind of going through the Sermon on the Mount, that like being angry all the time is evil, that lust is evil, that retaliating is evil. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And that we're to love our enemies. Not 
make fun of, not hate. We're to love our enemies. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? And that we're to care for the needy and that we're to pray for God's glory and God's kingdom. And we're to lay up our treasures in heaven, not here. And we're to treat others the way we want to be treated, the golden rule. We're to travel the narrow way even if it's hard and weird and causes difficulty. This, friends, these are our marching orders. And selective obedience to these commands. Well, we pick one, we throw out the other one. Well, it's just obedience to the commands we happen to like. Well, that's not genuine obedience at all. That's just mere agreement. And you saying, God, you're right. But on these, you're not. If we truly confess that Jesus is Lord, we must be willing to bend our will to His. Even if His directives don't make any sense, and even if we don't necessarily like them, if they seem foolish, or that won't work in the real world, we bend our will to His. The test of loyalty, the test of submission to the Lord isn't prophesying in His name, casting out demons, or doing mighty works. The test is when His will crosses ours. We obey, we submit to God whenever we obey a command that's, that's hard, that's painful. And getting away from this kind of idea of just where we merely agree just kind of aside, I would say to you that pay careful attention to the passages in your Bible that you don't have underlined. God wants you to follow Him in those as well. And friends, listen, Jesus isn't, he isn't asking us to be like the mythical vision of the Apostle Paul we have in our head where he's just got like a superhero spiritual cape flapping in the wind. He's just Superman, you know, apostle, Superman disciple. He's not asking us to be anything like that. He's not expecting that, nor is he implying that Christians are never going to blow it. Even, I mean, talking about the apostle Paul, he said decades after he was converted that he was the chief of all sinners. And he said, hey, the, the very things that I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I, I don't want to do, those are the things I keep on doing. Like he struggled with sin. And so we will fall. We will fail. That's not the test of true discipleship. The test is, but are you fighting for holiness? Are you fighting for growth in the Lord? Are you fighting for Christ's ways? Or you're just living for your own ways? Even if you baptize those in Bible speak. And so when we do fail and we do fall, which we will do, we need to get back up and run back to Jesus, not from Him. He doesn't stay there like, well, tis, tis, get clean and then you can come back to me. No, prodigal father running out to the, the son, come home, come here. I am running after you. I've longed for you. I love you. Come home. You know, get the fatted calf. Let's have a celebration. Let's party. That's, that, that is the father's love for you. 
we run back and we fall on His grace and on His mercy and on His gospel and we remember that our right standing with Him wasn't secured by our actions. It was secured by Jesus' actions for us in our place. We are made right with the Father based upon what Christ did, not what we do. That's our hope. We need a righteousness not from ourselves and praise God, Jesus gives to us His righteousness for all who trust in Him. And when we do that, Jesus picks us back up and He says, hey, you failed. You did. I paid for that too. And I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And then two weeks later, or maybe two minutes later, hey, I paid for that one too. Go and sin no more. Friends, that's what a true disciple's life looks like. It's a life of stumbling forward. Two steps forward, one step back. Two steps forward, one step back. One step forward, five steps back. But stumbling forward. Repenting all the way. Running back to Jesus moment by moment. Perseverance of the saints. But listen closely here. We, we, we do have to acknowledge the warning that Jesus is giving here. It is possible to be a false disciple. And folks, being honest with you, that's one of my biggest fears as a pastor. Is that some of you in here might not be truly a disciple. Like between, just statistically, between this crowd and the one at 830, I know that's true. And it terrifies me. Some of you are religious. You're moral. You're spiritual. You've, you've even been baptized and repeated the sinner's prayer seven or eight times just to make sure it's stuck, right? Stuck. But you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus. Other allegiances hold you captive. And so we need to heed this warning and ask ourselves, am I a false disciple? Like, do I know all about Jesus, but I don't actually know Jesus? Or maybe a better question, he doesn't know me. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so that is a hard question that we do need to ask. But here's the good news. The good news is that Christ's arms are open wide to you. If you are that false disciple and you realize it today, or you've never trusted in Jesus ever before, or maybe you've just kind of gotten away from Jesus a little bit, you're still a disciple, but you haven't really been walking with Him. His arms are open wide to you, and His call to you is, come here, come here, get in here. I got you. Let me have you. I put my arms around you. You're okay. I've got you. I am Lord. I am Christ. I am Savior. I've paid it all. I've paid for it. Come here. And so, friends, trust Him. Go to Him. Heed His call. Repent and believe. His heart is spring-loaded towards you. 
Like sometimes you look at the Old Testament and you read through passages and repeatedly it talks about and the, Lord's, the Lord was, was provoked to anger. This happened He was provoked to anger. You never see anywhere in Scripture about His heart needing to be provoked to love or provoked to mercy or provoked to grace. That's just who He is. That just flows out of Him. It's anger that requires provocation, but love, mercy, grace, none of that requires. That's just who He is, and it just flows out of Him. And it flows towards anyone who would repent and believe, regardless of whether this is your first time in church to ever hear the message of the gospel, or you're realizing that you've been in church your whole life and you're a false disciple. Grace, mercy, love flow out towards you from the Heavenly Father who loves you and sent His Son to die for you on the cross. And so whether, I mean, wherever you're at in this, God's mercy is spring-loaded towards you. Taste and see that He's good. Trust Him. Don't be worried about what other people might think. Spend some time with Him. He loves you. And He calls us to choose wisely choose wisely your path your influence and whether you're serious or not and he loves you let's pray Father it's hard to think about these things sometimes that we could be think we're saved and we're not but where your word tells us it's possible and so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord, I pray you wouldn't cause confusion. Lord, I don't, I don't want someone who truly is a disciple struggling forward to think, well, I'm not. When they actually are. But Lord, on the flip side, I don't want someone who's actually not a disciple to think that they are. And so, Holy Spirit, would you, would you just, through your word, speak to us? Open our eyes, bring conviction to our hearts. And seal our hearts. Lord, if there is someone in here who does not know you, or someone who's live streaming, Father, I pray that they would send a note, they'd send an email, or, or if they're here, they would grab someone, talk to them about what it might mean to give their life to Christ and talk about the gospel together. Give them the courage to seek someone out. But then, Father, for all of us, help us to truly beware of that looks are deceiving and help us to live with an eternal focus, not a temporal one give us that that's wisdom help us to have wisdom and help us to have humility and not look down upon others who are we're all in this game together lord help us to just be humble teammates no family
in Jesus' name. Amen.